Good to have everyone out today. Isn't it nice to be back and be outdoors and stuff? I mean, like we, it's not like we haven't been meeting, but like this is what we did for six months of the year last year, and it seems kind of homish, doesn't it, you know? At least to some of us. Some of y'all who are really sweating bad, it doesn't feel like home at all. Sorry about that. So, um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be a lot today. I want to address a question that I think a lot of us ask, and sometimes, if at least not once, we ask it often. And that question is, the phrase that I told the children about is, can God use me? Can God use me? You know, have you ever asked yourself that question? Because I think most of us have at some point, can God use me? And I think especially our children and our teens often, and maybe in going into the college years, can God use me? And on this afternoon, I'm going to be at a retirement community. And last week, we were talking with 80 and 90-year-old people about can God use you? Even here in this community where you don't get out a lot and, you're, and, you know, and things are kind of restricted on you, can God use you even here? And so I want to talk about that today because as people, we are notorious for comparing ourselves to other people, Right? You know, especially when you talk to people about, can you share your, would you like to share your testimony with us? The first thing most people say is, well, I don't have a very exciting testimony. You know, I, I, you know I'm kind of dull. I'm kind of like a Christian wallflower. I don't have much to say, you know. <laughs> but let me just say something. I'll just jump to the end a little bit. You want to know something? The best thing about your testimony is that you say that Jesus died for me, and I learned about that, and I believed in it, and he changed my life. That is what your testimony is about. That is the most exciting part of your testimony. No matter what else happened and all that other stuff and all, that is the most exciting part of anyone's testimony. But we always say, well, I don't know if God can use me. You know, I can't sing. You know, I'm terrible about talking in front of people. I can't do that. I don't want to I can't teach little kids or big kids or old kids. I don't have a lot of money to donate. I don't have any special skills or talents. You know, and then we just rehearse all the things we don't have, all the things we're not. We rehearse all those things, and because we heard rehearse all those things, and we've been convinced of all those things, we go, because of all that, God can't use me. Because I don't have any of that, God can't use me. The other thing we do is we rehearse to ourselves the only things we do. We rehearse to ourselves the things we do that prohibit in our minds God from using us. So moms say, all I do is change diapers and chase kids all day. Amen. I hear that. I know that. Been there, done that. A little bit. Not quite like a mom. Sorry, I don't want to offend any moms. I don't want any emails from moms. I'm not a mom. I don't know what your life is like. It's hard. I know. Sorry. That could be dangerous. Dads, you know, dads will say, I just sit in a computer all day and then I come home to my family. And basically everyone just says, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I have bills to pay. I have grass to cut. I have errands to run. I have yoga class. I have little league. I have soccer. I have laundry. I have brunch with the girls, golf with the guys, you know, and then follow it up with an app. You know, they're everything. We all have things we're doing, right? And for all the promises of all of our electronics to make life easier and for all the electronics to make life less cumbersome, man, they just really make things difficult. We're always fixing them and updating them and making them work and then taking them back to the Apple store and saying, this isn't working, you know? So I don't know that they do everything they want us to, but we still buy them, right? But we're still busy all the time. All the time we're still busy. 
And, you know, but I'm, I just want to say I'm grateful for that because they're, all y'all at home were able to walk today because, uh, watch today because we have devices that work and devices that make this possible for us to be connecting like this. So that's a good thing. But I want to remind us of a couple of things today that nothing new really, but it's nothing new, but it's really, I want to remind us of the stuff that we already know. I mean, it's just like communion. It's just like Kevin said. It's like we do communion to remind us of stuff we know, to keep us anchored to that truth so we don't get too far away from it because the, the, the further away that gap gets, the more work it is to get back there to that anchor point. And so I want to remind us of some stuff we probably already know, but maybe we just need to be reminded of. It's the kind of stuff that gets lost, you know, between mowing the lawn and washing the dishes, taking the nap, all right? Open up your... So, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is what I'm saying here to you. Yes. I'm going to, we're going to kind of walk through this passage a little bit and look at some things that Paul is saying to the Corinthian church there. And I want you to keep in mind the question, can God use me? As we read through this, just keep in mind the question, can God use me? So chapter 2, first of all, let's say in chapter 2, Paul starts writing and he says that we have this ministry of the gospel. He's talking about that. He begins to unfold it. He talks about it in chapter 2. He gets to verse 14, and he says, because we have this ministry of the gospel, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. He goes, that in essence is is our ministry. That we are to be the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place. And so to take it a little bit out of Paul's lingo, what we're supposed to do is where we go and the people we're around, we're supposed to smell like the knowledge of Jesus. People should know about him because we're around. And he says, in every place. That's us. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to be about. But the question remains, how do I do this? Can God use me even so? Who am I? I'm not trained. I didn't go to seminary. All that stuff. And Paul agrees with you on that. Paul understands that that question mark about like, well, I'm not trained. How does this work? Paul agrees because you go down in verse 16. He goes, um, into the one, you see, some of us are in a room of death to death and to the others a room to life. And he goes, who is adequate for these things. In other words, here we are, we're supposed to be the aroma of the knowledge of God to every place and every person we're around. He goes, who's really adequate for that? Who's really up to that job? Who really, who, he just says. Who's up to that? And then he answers his own question in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He says, and such a confidence we have through Christ, through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy comes from God. So he says, this boldness to do this thing is not in us. It's in Christ. And then he says, and that ability and that adequacy is from God himself. And verse 12 says, so we have boldness. 
In 3.12, he goes, we have boldness, verse 12, having therefore such hope, the hope that Christ is in us, the hope that is working through us, we have hope, great boldness in our speech, he says. Verse 4, chapter 1, he goes there, he goes, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And and, in that phrase right there, he's saying, don't give in to evil. As you're trying to do this, as you're trying to figure out what it means to be the aroma of the knowledge of God every place, we can get worn down. We can get discouraged. And in doing that, it's not oft, it's not unlike, it doesn't, it, it, it is not unlikely that we will. Sorry about that. We're good. All right. It's not unlikely that we will get discouraged in trying to continue to do this. It's hard to keep it up every day. And he realizes that. He says, but don't give up heart. He says, don't, get, don't give in to evil. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't lose courage. Our message of the gospel and our message of the knowledge of God is not one that has to have bright lights with it. It's not one that has to have smoke or a huge production. Look at what he says, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, coming... commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So look what he's saying there. He goes, in other words, he says, we don't have to have a big story. We don't have to have a big production. We don't have to have bright lights. We don't have to have smoke. We don't have to have any of that stuff. And not only that, and he says, adulterating the message there, he goes, we don't have to clean up the gospel We don't have to make it appealing to them. We don't have to change its words. We don't have to change its meaning. And that is happening all the time these days. That's not really what the Bible says about blank. And people change the meaning all the time. And he's going, you don't have to do that because the gospel will work for itself. We don't manipulate the Bible. We don't say that... That's what it used to mean, but we've evolved because that's what it says. All, that people say that all the time. But by the manifestation of truth is what he says. But by demonstrating the truth is what he says. Not by blunting its edge. This is how one, one guy wrote about it. He says, we've not blunted its edge. We've not concealed anything. We're not explaining it away. We're not trying to make it okay or acceptable. But he says, but by an open plain, straightforward exhibit exhibit of it just as it is. That it's just Jesus. And look what he says in verse 5 of chapter 4. He just says, we're not trying to make it something it's not. We're not trying to have bright lights. We're not trying to make it appealing. We're not trying to make it... I mean, it's not like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. He says, we preach Jesus. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We preach Jesus. Just straightforward. We're not trying to make it something we don't. We just speak about Jesus and his ability to change lives. Now then, 
Can God use you? Can you speak about Jesus? That's what he's asking. Well, you say, well, I can speak about Jesus, but I can't preach. I, I don't do that. That's why you're here, Tim. You know, I do laundry, I do business reports, I sell insurance, I fix cars, I teach, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a student. I'm not a preacher, so that doesn't apply to me. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have to be a preacher. He's not writing this to preachers. He's writing this to people who are sitting in chairs just like you or sitting in a, this church in Corinth just like you. And look at what he says in verse 6 and 7. Starting verse 5, where we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. That's interesting. You know, the crown jewels, the, you know, the... the the, all the crowns and all the jewels and all of this magnificent collection of, of the British monarchy is in the Tower of London there in London. And when you go there to see it, you know, it's protected by two-inch shatterproof glass, by um, a vault doors with laser electric beams in them and steel shutters that can withstand a bomb blast. And so that's the most prized possession that the British monarchy has. And so they tuck it away so no one can take it. And what does God do? He takes the most prized possession of all mankind, of all eternity, and he doesn't tuck it away where no one can get to it. Instead, what he does is he takes it and he puts it in a little clay vessel. Now, these are little clay vessels like this, this little clay jar right here. This one's not uncommon, many. I just went and picked this one up out of the backyard today. And, and if you were to see it up close, you'd see that the back side of it here has already begun to kind of rot off and chip away. And it's not uncommon that a lot of my other ones that I have in my backyard, they're cracked, you know. And so they're not very strong. They're not very, they don't last a long time, so to speak, you know what I mean? They just kind of are there. And so God says, instead of locking the most valuable thing to all mankind someplace where it's safe and no one can get to it, I put it someplace where it's prone to crack and to break and where the knowledge of God can leak out. That's what he says. But not only that, not only does it happen, well, I'll say that thought for a second. I'll come back to that in a minute. So he says, I've taken what's most important and I put it in these clay jars that are weak and fragile because it's in weakness that the power of God is easily seen. And that's demonstrated in verse 7. So there in verse 7, he says this, you know, I've had this treasure and it's in these earthen vessels and it's of surpassing greatness of the power, but I put it there so that people can see it. I didn't put it someplace where you have to buy a ticket for it. I didn't put it someplace where you have to live a certain way to be able to earn your way to see it. He said, I put it where anyone can see it as long as my people reveal that truth to the world around them. So people that stand around us, they say, how do you do that when they watch your life? Where does that joy come from? Where does that peace 
come from? I see patience in you. I've driven with you on I-95. You're okay. You love people who've done you wrong. You forgive people that I could never forgive. How do you do that? And the answer to that is that it's Jesus inside of this clay jar called me. I'm nothing. But even like verse 5 says, we don't preach ourselves. We live our lives and we let Jesus leak out. And if we continue to read the passage, like verses 8 through 12, 8 through 13 there, he goes on, he goes, we're afflicted in every way, we're crushed, we're perplexed, but we don't despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about, always carrying on the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus could be made manifest in our body. And he goes down through there and he goes, this stuff is always happening to us. Life is never easy, really, he says. And yet, and yet, we don't lose heart, he says in verse 16. We don't lose heart. But through our outer man is decaying, our inner man that Jesus is renewing is being renewed day by day. Then he goes into chapter 5. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want you to read it, you know, and look at it. There he goes into chapter 5. He goes, we have this earthly tent, this thing that we call our bodies, and it's really not much better than a really cheap little, you know, um, clay jar. And he goes, and, and, and that's what we live in. But we live in that and we look towards something that's, that's not happening yet. We look toward the future. We look toward heaven with, with courage and we look for it with faith. And he says, because of all that, because of all that, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And having concluded this, that the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they should live. No longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again on their behalf. The, un the unfortunate nature of at least the churches I've ever been in, and even the one I'm pastoring right now, is that everyone comes to church and, and they have their little, Clark, their little clay jars. And they always put the good side of the clay jar out. I'm doing fine. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. And on the back side of it, is this caving in, chipping away, rotting side of the jar. And everything we learn from Paul, it says that when this side of the jar is out, that is when Jesus is being seen. When this side of the jar is out, that's when people see Jesus, get to know Jesus, begin to understand Jesus, start asking questions about Jesus. And he says that we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for him who died for us because we are being made into a new creature. So, so can God use you? Can God use your boring, normal, routine, menial, same old, same old suburban life for his purposes? Absolutely. You know why? Because you are going through life just normal life with all the trouble, with all the turmoil, with all the same oldness of it, just like the people living next door to you. But you're going through life with a peace about it. You're going through life with a joy about it. You're going through life with a confidence about it. And that's what they're missing. And he goes, and that's what happens. 
When you live your normal, everyday life like that, and people begin to see me through all that normalcy, through all that mundane living, that's when they begin to see me. That's when the message of Jesus, that aroma of God begins to come out. And so you have family and friends who are watching you. You, that person who is a new creation. You, that person that has Jesus living inside of you. All these people who live these normal lives that are boring and menial and mundane and routine and very suburban, just like you, they're living around you. And when you begin to live that life with the kind of stuff the Scripture talks about, with joy and peace and certainty and confidence, they begin to go, we're all kind of like living on the street the same way, and yet you live very differently than I do. There's something leaking out of you. And you say it's Jesus. God doesn't need you to be something you're not. He doesn't need you to be something that you think you're supposed to be, to be effective, for God to be able to use you. On your street, in your office, at the grocery store, in the doctor's appointment, wherever life takes you, that's where God wants to use you. That's how he wants to use you. Our message to a confused, angry, tired world is that the Son of God has been sent into the world to live a perfect life and to go to the cross to bear his wrath and to pay the penalty for sinners like you and I. And in Acts chapter 4, the disciples had just finished defending their faith to the religious leaders of the day. And verse 13 of Acts chapter 4 says, And now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize that they began to notice. What did they begin to notice? Their radical conversion story from drugs? Or some other, wow, that happened to you? No, what they began to notice was they were with Jesus. That's all it says, that they were with Jesus. It wasn't Peter or John that impressed them. It was the influence of Jesus in their lives that caught their attention. So can God use you? Yes, if you allow Jesus to change your life so much that others can begin to see the beauty of Jesus in you. Now let me point out something to you. Many of us have things, a chronic illness, a life situation like a broken relationship, um, the loss of a dearly beloved family member, or a mental health issue, whatever it may be. And God says in chapter 1-7 here in 2 Corinthians that that situation, that situation in your life is how he comforts you in that situation. He wants you to take that and use it in someone else's life. So let me just say, can God use you? Your cancer doesn't put you on the shelf. Your disease does not put you on the shelf. Your condition does not put you out of commission. Your health condition, your broken relationship, your life situation, whatever it is, has meaning and purpose for eternity. God can use it. He put it there to use. He put it there to use. So that he can prove that he is your adequacy. So that the power of our life is not from ourselves, but from God. So that we can demonstrate that God doesn't change us, that God does change us from the inside, and he makes us into new creatures. But none of that is of any value to you if you have never really believed in Christ as your Messiah, or as the, as if you believed in Christ as the Savior of the world. 
The bottom line to the truth for your life is that, is to life in general, is that you and I, all of us here were born as sinners and we're broken. The clay pot. And because we are separated from God with no way to change that, God sent his son on earth to pay the penalty for your sin, to make it possible for you to be in a relationship with him. And when you are in a relationship with him, that's when, that's when you begin to experience peace and joy and purpose and eternal destiny in the mundane nature of your life or even in the brokenness of your life. When you confess that you're a sinner and that you believe that Christ died for you and paid for your sins on that cross and that you don't have to do anything at all, nothing at all to get saved, that he did all of it, that's when you begin to move from a purposeless life to a life of purpose. And he takes all that stuff in your life, all that brokenness, all that stuff that you wish was different, and he gives all that stuff purpose and meaning and value. He often doesn't take it away from us. More often than that, he gives it purpose instead. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just want to thank you that you have entered into our lives, that you have given us the ability to be used by you. And it's only because of you in us that you make us adequate, that you shine from inside of our brokenness. And so our answer is here today that God can use us. He can use the little children. He can use us middle-aged folks, us college students, us high school students, us retirees, those friends of mine who live in that community, that retirement community. There is not a person in the family of God who is outside the reach of God's purposes. Today, Father, help us all to really begin to think about that and where it is that you want to use us and how to use us in our neighborhoods, over our back fences, in the grocery store lines, wherever it may be. May we make ourselves available to you to find that you do want to use us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.